0: But, you know, some of the biggest myths are that cholesterol drives heart disease and heart attacks. Um, That is a complete myth, in my opinion, based on the data. Um, And and another one is that the heart is the main mover of blood, that the main job of the heart is to pump blood around the body. That's that's not true, in my opinion, um, based on a lot of um, research and evidence that I found. And then the third one is that all heart attacks um, happen because there's a blockage of an artery.
1: good day hello greetings wherever you are in the world thank you for joining true hope cast the official podcast of true hope canada my name is simon and i've got the pleasure of being your host today True Hope Canada is a mind and body based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about True Hope you can visit truehopecanada.com and if you're new to the podcast please subscribe so you don't miss out on any further episodes. Today I welcome chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Stephen Hussey to the show. Dr. Hussey attained both his Doctorate of Chiropractic and Masters in Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon He is a health coach, speaker, and the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. Today, though, we're going to be discussing the myths and truths around heart disease and how you can take steps towards better cardiovascular health. Enjoy the show. Okay, well, welcome to the show, Dr. Hussey. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good, thanks. I've got my um, woolly jumper on. You know, it's definitely winter time in the UK, so I'm just, you know, this you've got to be prepared for the weather, I suppose. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a little chilly here too in Virginia. All right. Well, it's always amazes me that we can um, even have these conversations from other other parts of the world. You know, it's such an we're so fortunate to be able to have these conversations and be able to. Um, share ideas and broaden each other's horizons and just have good conversations, good debate about things. Cause that's without question when it comes to 2021 debate and converse is a very, very important part of, part of our culture. We need to keep that up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, you know, one of the, one of the kind of concluding points in my book is that we need uh, we need open and honest conversation. And the biggest problem within healthcare today is the shutdown of conversation. Um, the shutdown of, of uh, discussing different ideas. Uh, and that's a, a big theme in my book. Yeah. That's really cool. And I, I've, I'm aware that
1: both of your books, we're definitely going to get into them. And um, yeah, that's such a key point. And it's a bit a big slap in the face to science is the way that we've shut mm. down debate and conversation. And um, yeah, it doesn't do anybody. Well, maybe somebody, but it doesn't do us a good service <laughs> anyway. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro, like a bit of your background and what kind of led you um, into kind of the deeper focus specific area
0: of heart health? Yeah. So, um, you know, it all started just like many people uh, in this space uh, with my own personal health journey. Um, you know, I was as a kid, I had um, lots of inflammatory conditions. I had uh, chronic hives, had asthma, had allergies, um, IBS, you know, bowel syndrome. Um, and lots of inflammatory conditions and ultimately ended up with autoimmune type one diabetes where my body attacked the cells that make insulin in my body and they're they no longer function and so now I have type one diabetes um, and so yeah like because of all that stuff my, my family and I were kind of dependent on you know western medicine and, and doctors in that arena um, to help us manage these conditions and and that's the key word though is that they were helping us manage them not not fix them. Right. They didn't ever finding the root cause. Uh, they were, they were kind of masking the symptoms and uh, with medications and things like that. And so, you know, throughout my um, upbringing and then in college uh, and then after college through my medical education, I've, I've kind of been obsessed with finding out how do I create health? You know, how do I, how do I manage these conditions? And I'm happy to say that all of them are gone aside from the type one diabetes uh, that is kind of collateral damage from that inflammation that I had. And I'll have that Um, forever, provided there's a stem cell cure or whatever. But anyways, type one diabetes predisposes me to heart disease pretty heavily. Um, So, you know, my first book, I I talked about, you know, evolutionary reasoning, why we're so sick as a society, because that's kind of what I discovered as I was, you know, obsessed with discovering what creates health. And then I've had a, you know, affinity for learning about heart disease and, and the heart and why it's there and what it does. And, um, and how heart disease develops. And so I had a lot of information about the heart, because I'm trying to prevent that myself, um, heart disease. And, um, and so I had, I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff in a book. And so that's my second book <laughs> is all about heart health. And so, uh, so yeah, you know, I, um, I spent a long time trying to figure out um, what, uh, what creates health, and, and I found a lot of shocking things. Um, you know, when, it, when you look at what conventional wisdom is, what society says creates health, and Um, and how medicine looks at things, I I found a lot of things to the contrary, and uh, I'm I'm sharing them with people.
1: Well, that's amazing. Yeah, there's nothing quite like a personal journey and a personal story and a personal connection to, I suppose, medicine and the the rest of the world when it comes to dealing with your own issues, and then not seeing the results that you probably would have expected from, you know, our Western medical system which is just phenomenal in so many areas but when it comes to what the majority of people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis it massively fails and falls short and so many people especially come on the show but as you say people who are in this 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 holistic healing functional medicine space so many people come from that type of experience and I was checking out your website, um, today and you mentioned on your like intro video there on um, resource, your that you have kind of an outside box approach to heart health. So I'd love if you could explain a little bit more about that, please.
0: Yeah. So, you know, if you go to the doctor and, and you get like, you know, checkup for like a heart screening or whatever, they're going to take, um, you know, they're going to take a blood cholesterol panel, um, a lipid panel, um, and, uh, and a, a lot of what is thought to cause heart disease is, is based on how this panel looks. But, uh, I found that that's, you know, not the case at all. I, I would say, uh, it's got maybe a little something to do with it. Um, but it's, it's not really the best indicator of what's going to create health, um, or cause heart disease. Um, and so, you know, they may, they definitely acknowledge that inflammation is an issue too. If you go to a Western medical practitioner and they, they acknowledge that, you know, um, uh, stress plays a role in everything, but, um, but there's this huge focus on cholesterol. Um, and, and that's most likely because they have a drug that can treat cholesterol, uh, which are statins. Um, and so there's been this idea that, um, the cholesterol drives heart disease or high cholesterol drives heart disease. And so if everybody, you know, if people have high cholesterol, then they can get statin drugs and the, the recommendation for what your level cholesterol level should be. Uh, has gotten lower and lower over the years as the pharmaceutical companies have sponsored the lowering of those guidelines so that they can prescribe more drugs. Ooh, um, interesting. Yeah, so there's lots of there's quite a bit of evidence for that. Um, but yeah, so this this just my outside the box approach is you know I don't I don't listen to all that because it doesn't work. Obviously, that's the approach that's been taken. And heart disease is the number one killer in the world, uh, and you know heart disease rates continue to rise. So obviously aggressively lowering cholesterol with a statin drug or a PCSK9 inhibitor or something like that is not working. It's, it's not addressing the issue. And so my outside the box approach is I've, I've kind of determined that there's, there's three main areas that people should kind of focus on to um, try and prevent heart disease. And it's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you you know, it's easy to do these things. Um, and, and that you, if you do them, that you will not have heart disease. But um, when I look at the data and I look at the research, like these are the things that seem to be suggesting that they're they're more of a risk factor for heart disease than just a cholesterol panel. Um and so those three things are the are kind of the themes of my book. And there's also information about, you know, what the heart is and, and just understanding the heart in general. But um but yeah it's it's very, you know, I I came into this, you know, started learning about this before I had any medical education, um, before um I even really had a college education, you know, I started really early. And so I had no preconceived notions. I had no nothing that um, Um, you know, bias me in one way or the other. I was just trying to find information and soak it all in. And since I started that way, then even through my medical education uh, and my master's degree and, and, and getting information outside of that, um, I've just, I've never, I've never ruled out anything. Like if there's information out there, I want to read it. Even if it sounds ridiculous, I want to, I want to read it. Um, And so that's kind of how I've gotten to where uh, I am because I, I don't rule anything out. I'm very open To all information about the subject, and uh, and what I found is is pretty shocking. So, yeah, shocking
1: is probably the right word. Um, Yeah, and all we can go with is is the data. And you mentioned about the like the classic blood work panel, looking at cholesterol that I'm sure everyone over 50 is quite familiar with doing. Why, um, you know what? How does a panel like that's traditionally done? um, How does that end up directing? a doctor is it always to a drug like pretty much like from the from the very limited information that it's actually going to give you about your cardiovascular health you know doing that doing that panel is it like you know is that the only real option that
0: they a a medical doctor could go to um depending on the doctor yeah like if they're a very classically trained physician and they practice what they learned in school then yeah you know the it's either a it's either a drug or some sort of procedure operation, you know, like a stent placement or or something like that. Um, They have have to do more imaging for that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the baseline cardiac panel, um, you know, they look for that lipid panel uh, and they take the um, probably, uh, you know, some inflammatory markers too, because they do acknowledge that inflammation is is, um, a risk factor for heart disease. And uh, so you get something like a high, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, Uh, and various other markers of inflammation or or cardiac um, markers and things like that. And, uh, but you know, the main thing that they have, the main drug that they have is the, is the statin drug, which is the cholesterol lowering medication. So if they see your cholesterol is high, they're going to prescribe that drug right off the bat. Even if it's not sometimes it's just like the standard of care for someone who's quote unquote at risk to just prescribe a statin. Like I'm an example, like I'm type one diabetic. And, um, when I, when I'd been type one diabetic for 15 years, um, I went to a, a doctor and they said that they tried to prescribe me a statin just because that's the standard of care for anyone who's been type one diabetic right. for 15 years. Um, there's no real data that backs up. it. It's, it's, it helps at all. There's lots of data that suggests the statins have lots of side effects. Um, so for someone like me who was young, healthy, um, yes, type one diabetic, um, but did not have high cholesterol at all, which high cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease in the first place. But, um, but for someone like that, it makes no sense, that you would prescribe that drug um, that has this um, this reputation for causing these side effects uh, in someone who's, who's, who's fit and healthy, like, like I was so, and still am. So, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't take it, but that's just, that's just the cookie cutter approach that they have, you know, like it's when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. would i be right in
1: saying that for a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, that's their statin drugs, like that product, Brings in like consistently every year, like the majority of profits.
0: I believe I read that somewhere recently. Oh yeah, like statins are it. It's 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 usually trades off. You know, number one and number two between statin drugs and like painkillers. Yeah, um, things like that. Like those are the 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 two most prescribed drugs in the United States, at least. Um, and uh, and yeah, and, and the United States takes way more drugs than any other country anywhere.
1: It's quite insane how many yeah. drugs per person like people take in the US in comparison to let's just say the UK, like it's wild.
0: Yeah, and and obviously it's not working. You know, we're also the the as far as developed country goes, we're one of the sickest. You know, we we spend more on healthcare than any other country in the world. We take more drugs than any other country in the world. Yeah we rank like 29th as far as health outcomes. We are not the healthiest whatsoever. So so this this um approach to chronic disease that Western medicine has is is uh, extremely lacking. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's not helping us. It's not a route to health. Um, but don't get me me wrong though. Western medicine can do amazing things in emergency. It saved my life three times, you know, but as far as chronic disease, no, it's, it's lost and it doesn't understand what creates health. Um, and this, this one, um, this one tool that they have, either drugs or surgery, um, isn't, isn't working out for us.
1: Yeah, again, another massive slap in the face to, to, to science. But um, yeah. let's move on to some of the common myths about heart health. You know, you, you mentioned the great statement a second ago about how, you know, cholesterol, high cholesterol doesn't cause uh, heart disease. So why don't you tell us a little about some of the the really common myths that, you know, my parents are in their 60s, in their late 60s. And, you know, I've been a nutrition expert for seven or eight years and they still, like, don't listen to me about, like, consuming, like, nice, full-fat, good, healthy yogurt. It's always the, like, low-fat,
0: mm-hmm.
1: flavoured stuff that's just, you know, garbage in mm-hmm. comparison to, like, good quality. So, like, you know, how the, there's got to be some, like, really common myths that have been going through the decades, year after year, that is literally penetrating the belief system of large amounts of individuals when there are there is a lot of people out there um, showing the data but people don't necessarily always like 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 the stats or the truth or something like that so like you, can you just run us through some of the like the really common myths that are just like flat out cookie
0: yeah. land stuff so i'll uh, i'll um i'll list three of them here but i want to talk about the first one which is the whole cholesterol thing because the the history behind that is, is quite fascinating um and it really it really shines some light on how we got to where we are um, but you know, some of the biggest myths are that cholesterol drives heart disease and heart attacks. Um, that is a complete myth in my opinion, based on the data. Um, and, and another one is that the heart is the main mover of blood, That the main job of the heart is to pump blood around the body. That's, that's not true in my opinion, um, based on a lot of, um, research and evidence that I found. And then the third one is that all heart attacks, um, happen because there's a blockage of an artery. Um, that definitely can happen. Um, but it's not the case, um, all the time. And there are definitely heart attacks that happen without a blockage. And so in my book, I I try and explain how that can happen. And it has a lot to do with, um, stress and our imbalanced stress response, but let's, um, start with cholesterol. So, you know, so in, if you look in like the early 1900s, there was a lot of people who were kind of figuring out that, you know, this high fat diet kind of thing, this high animal fat diet was actually helping people. Um, there were people like, Um, William Banting, who, um, you know, lost a ton of weight and got rid of all his health issues when he started getting rid of processed foods um, and started including more animal fats and and, um, saturated fat and things like that. And then there's people like um, George Mann, who was studying, you know, hunter-gatherer tribe um, uh, in Africa, and people like Weston Price, who was traveling the world and studying hunter-gatherer tribes and found that, you know, they ate you know, full fat stuff and saturated fat and animal foods. And, and they were just not eating the processed foods, uh, you know, the processed sugar, processed grains, vegetable oils, things like that. Those were the things that were the problem. So there was a lot of stuff going on like that. And then in the 1950s, um, heart disease started rising. Um, and, and people were kind of freaking out about it. They were this new, it was kind of this new disease. Cause in the early 1900s, there was, there really wasn't like a, a board of cardiology or anything. It just wasn't needed. You know, there was, there's maybe a few cardiologists who were interested in the heart, but there wasn't this huge cardiology field. And um, and so in the 1950s, um, President Eisenhower had a heart attack and, and it was all over the media, and people were kind of concerned about the rising rates of heart disease. And so they were looking for an answer to what causes heart disease. And um, and this one scientist named Ansel Keys gave him an answer. Um, and it was based on some very faulty research um that uh, that he did, uh, research that can't really tell us about causation, it can only show us show us an association between two things. And um, And, uh, he, he basically found, or he basically stated that the more saturated fat and cholesterol people ate, the higher heart disease they had. Um, but again, it was with some really faulty research and he actually cherry picked the data, um, so that he got the result he wanted. Um, and so then when he came up with that theory, um, they, they started testing it, um, throughout the sixties and the seventies, they started testing this theory and it's actually, when it comes to nutrition, studies it's actually probably the most tested theory out there like there's so many studies on it that were done during this time um and uh studies that would be really hard to do now because they're very expensive to do and um so there was a study called the the minnesota coronary survey there was one called the diet heart hypothesis uh the sydney diet heart hypothesis there was one in finland there was one in norway um and uh they all basically took people took saturated fat out of people's diet and put in polyunsaturated fat um, which is supposed to be heart healthy, right? This unsaturated fat supposed to be better for us. So they did that. Um, and in, in all the studies they showed that the more polyunsaturated fat people ate the higher risk of heart disease, they had higher risk of cancer. They had highest all cause mortality they had. Um, so it was the complete opposite of what they were thinking they would find based on Ancel Keys's theory. But by the time these studies came out, the theory had already taken off, you know, the front of that, 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 uh, that famous um, time magazine um, article where, um, or or cover where it said the saturated fat's bad and had like a a frowny face with the bacon or whatever. Um, Like that, that famous thing had already come out. The theory had already come out. There was already a lot of money behind it. Um, And so despite the results of these studies, um, nothing changed that, that was the conventional wisdom going forward. And it has stuck um, pretty heavily to this day. And curiously though, that, the minnesota the minnesota coronary survey um one of the studies that did you know test the saturated fat unsaturated fat link um it was done uh, ansel keys was one of the lead researchers on the study but his name is left off the study when they published it and the study finished at some point and it wasn't published until 16 years later and you know this group of people had the clout to publish it in a very prestigious journal like the new england journal of medicine or the lancet or whatever Um, and, uh, instead they, they publish it in a small journal that nobody really reads. Um, and so this guy named Christopher Ramsey, he, he went back and he looked up the data and he found that they left out data in the study, some of the original data. When they published the study, they left some out, they published it in a small journal. And he went back and he found one of the authors on the study and he asked him why they left out data, why they didn't publish it, um, immediately. And he said, well, we didn't get the result we wanted. Um, and yeah. Right. And so it's just like it makes you kind of, you know, wonder about, you know, research in general and, and how it's published and, and that whole process. Do we really get an accurate um, portrayal of what the research says on the topic when things just don't get published, if they don't mm-hmm. want to be, you know, that want to be published. So, um, so yeah, anyways, so that's how we got to where we are, you know, and, and, you know, but it is coming around as a big movement toward back toward eating whole foods and including animal foods for heart health. And I'm, I'm a big part of that push. And, um, There was actually a study that came out or kind of a review article that came out in 2020, I think it was, um, that basically stated that when we review the, the evidence on saturated fat, that the, the, the cause for concern has been a way overstated, um, and that there's actually, um, there's actually benefit when it comes to, um, some ailments and, uh, especially like stroke and the preventing stroke and that kind of stuff. So saturated fat is, is, is good for us. You know, it's the polyunsaturated fat, the vegetable oils that are bad for us. And so that's kind of the history there and there's, and there's more to it. Um, but you know, that's kind of the, 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 um, over overview of it. Now, that was a great dive into the history and yeah,
1: it all starts at a point, especially when you talk about, I think it was a president Eisenhower, you mentioned about heart health, you know, when somebody in the spotlight's put in their it's almost like a um advertising opportunity and I wonder how I don't know if you know the, the answer to this question but like how are there any other industries involved with the demonization of animal fat or saturated fat so like I, I I just immediately think of the sugar industry like yeah how popular that was and how big that was and when we start thinking about how we transitioned from you know growing food in our gardens in these like you know, in, in the early 1900s and then we start you know, having microwaves and we have all this convenient stuff, you know, and we start shopping in the middle of the aisles rather than on the outside, like how there's got to be some sort of um, other industry that's looking to profit by demonizing and giving somebody else bad press.
0: Yeah. So um, the main ones I think of are, you know, the, just the grain industry, um, you know, uh, whether that's wheat, barley, rye, oats, whatever, um, that industry there, uh, corn, corn as well. Um, and then, uh, the vegetable oil industry, um, uh, you know, they're very big on, you know, polyunsaturated fat is good for you, you know, and the reason that it's touted as being good for you is that it does lower cholesterol. Um, because when you eat, you know, plant, when you eat plant fat, which does not contain cholesterol, it contains phytosterol, which is, which is fats meant for plants, Phytosterol versus cholesterol, which is fat meant for animals, um, then it does like it competes for absorption in your gut, and so you absorb more phytosterol and you don't get enough cholesterol. You don't get as much cholesterol, so it does lower your cholesterol. But the question is, is that what we want? And I would argue, absolutely not. We would not want to lower cholesterol. There's actually plenty of research that shows that as if we lower cholesterol or the lower someone's cholesterol is, especially under 100, the more risk of cognitive decline they have, the more risk of cancer, heart disease, uh, more risk of, of um, infection. Um, all-cause mortality all these things so cholesterol is vitally important um for our bodies and we do i i would never want to aggressively lower it um but yeah so it's uh it, it it's interesting um to to see that kind of stuff playing out um so so yeah yeah how um
1: if you were chatting to somebody who's like 17 who's just been trying to not eat cholesterol for 40 years what 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 well, like the three, maybe three or four things you would say, like it's really important for your body to have cholesterol because it's not, you know, it's something we produce ourselves. You know, our body doesn't really make mistakes; it's a phenomenal biocomputer. You know, so like, why, yeah, why do we produce cholesterol? Why we need, why do we need it in healthy amounts? And you know, what's
0: what's its function? Yeah, so. Um, there's a lot of things. So you, you have cholesterol, like the molecule itself and the, and the molecule itself can't really travel around by itself because it's fat soluble and it needs to be packaged up into something that can be transported in the blood, which is half water. Um, and so, uh, we have these things called LDL. We have these lipoproteins, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of different ones. Um, but the most famous ones are LDL and HDL. Um, and so LDL is important for like fighting off from infection and transporting fat soluble vitamins um, and, uh, and, and providing energy to the body because it transports tri- triglycerides too. So if we aggressively lower LDL, we're not going to get those things. Um, but cholesterol is also important for like the molecule of cholesterol itself is, is the backbone for our, our hormones, you know, so we're not going to make hormones very much, which is why we take statin drugs. We see sexual dysfunction, uh, in some people, you know, um, it's also cholesterol is very important for, um, certain molecules that form that are helping that help our cells be, um, responsive to insulin. So if we don't make those, then we get insulin resistance, um, which insulin resistance is probably the main driver of, of heart disease in the first place. So not only are we not preventing heart disease by lowering cholesterol, we're creating heart disease by creating insulin resistance with these statin drugs. Um, And so there's that there's um, let's see. I mean, it's, it's cholesterol is vitally important for cell to cell communication. Um, It's uh, it's uh, it's, it's really important for the brain. Uh, your brain is, is, uh, has a huge percentage of it. That's cholesterol and it needs to replenish itself. Um, it's w- which is why we get, you know, people with statin drugs, um, they can see cognitive decline. Memory issues is the main one. Um, so, so yeah, um, very, very important molecule. It does a lot of things. Now the devil's advocate would say, well, yeah, but if it gets too high, that can cause a problem. Um, and that's what people are worried about. And I'd say, well, actually um, if you look at studies of people with um, genetically high cholesterol, familial hypercholesterolemia, um, but they tracked these people over 200 years, these families of traits over 200 years to see how long they lived or whatever. And when they looked at these people compared to the average population without genetically high cholesterol, they didn't, they didn't die any sooner than, uh, anybody else. Um, and they said that the ones that did die sooner, it was, it was more likely because of, um, other complicating factors like heavy drinking, smoking, um, you know, toxin exposure, that kind of stuff. Um, that, that caused these people to die soon or not because they had genetically high cholesterol, but then even more, there's, um, there's studies that have come out recently that, uh, show that, and these are just associational studies, so they can't really prove anything, but it's just interesting that when you look at cholesterol levels in general and what levels associate with the lowest all cause mortality from anything, it's the, if it's, if it's total cholesterol, it's between 200 and 250, which is above the range of what they say it should be quote unquote, um, and for LDL, it's it's between 100 and 150, like somewhere in that range, which is again above what they think it should be. They want it below 100. Yeah. Um, and um, and so I mean, these are these are you know US units or, or whatever milligrams per deciliter. Um, but um, but yeah, so the it, the 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 levels of cholesterol that show the lowest all cause mortality are actually higher than what the recommended um, levels uh, by the medical profession uh, say it should be. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. So this, it, sound, it just sounds like this complete misunderstanding of what cholesterol is, what heart disease is, the causes of it, really wrapped up in quite insidious um, marketing campaigns, kind of like back in the day. But I also understand, as you say, like there was a rise in heart disease and they've got to find an answer to this, right? And it's probably better for governments or the medical industry to throw one answer at it or, rather than putting their hands up and saying they don't know because, you know, the governments aren't really in the habit. Of, of doing that so there's probably right. a combination of both things in there
0: yeah and i and i don't think that i i choose to believe that none of it was nefarious you know like it was it's just we live in a capitalist society and and uh you know everybody's concerned about the bottom line of the company and sure and you know it, it does get a little nefarious when they when mistakes are made and they don't admit it or they keep going forward with that mistake because they don't want to they don't want to admit it or cost themselves money or whatever that that's where it gets bad but i do think that you know, people and companies in general um, in the beginning started out with good intentions. Um, it's just that, you know, when they, when those intentions um, don't work out or when they make a mistake, they don't, they don't admit it in the long run. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's um, a lot more of a level of incompetence rather than malevolence with, the, with these type of issues, but we'll uh, we'll move on from there. What, what's kind of like the primary important truth About about heart disease and cholesterol that people should begin to understand because to reverse the course of a belief system is very very difficult, right? You know, we go from like a a thought or an idea to starting to make it a little more solidified, and then it just turns into opinion and into a belief, and it's very very hard to crack that belief once an adult human has kind of like made it. So how do we start to change people's minds a little bit? Is there kind of like one, one or two, like bigger truths that um, can really kind of maybe spark that idea of maybe changing your thoughts around something so solidified and heavily marketed and really, really, really stuck into the psyche.
0: Yeah. So I I guess the biggest um, strategy that I've had is that people, You know, approach me or talk to me about things uh, about their health and stuff like that. And you know, I I do health coaching online, and and um, I think that when people tell me what they're doing and they're kind of stuck in that that system, that conventional wisdom of of what's happening, and they say, "Well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I'm taking these medications like I'm supposed to," and this, and it's just Mm -hmm. getting worse. Yeah, and I say, "Okay, well, that's not working for you, right?" And they've been told that there's just nothing they can do. The genetics have have predisposed them to this and there's just nothing they can do. And I said, and I always have to convince them and tell them like, well, let's try something different, right? Maybe you're tracking the wrong things. And then I lay out, here's the things you should be tracking. You should be tracking whether or not you're insulin resistant, whether or not you have oxidative stress or inflammation and whether or not your stress response is imbalanced. Like those are the things we have to pay attention to. Um, And just looking at a cholesterol panel, and um lowering that cholesterol if it's high is not working and then people say you know you know they're scared to eat you know red meat and they're scared to eat saturated fat and i'm and i'm just sitting there saying well are you doing those things and they say no and i say well what's happening is is your condition getting worse are you getting healthier because of it and they say no Uh, and I say, okay well then maybe that maybe that idea is wrong let's try something different um but it is really hard because they've been you know, society and, and the medical profession and nutritionists within the medical profession have all, um, kind of bought into that theory and they've just kind of brainwashed them into thinking saturated fat is bad. And it's almost like they, they have anxiety to go back to eating it again, because they've been told it's so bad, but it's really about shifting people's thinking by saying like, is this working for you? Are the decisions in your life making your life better, making your health better, you know, or are they not? Because if they're not, there's a different way. Um, And then, you know, another uh, impactful thing is to show people, um, you know, anecdotes of people who have, who have turned their life around by eating, you know, the complete opposite of what, you know, the, the nutrition recommendations are that come from academic institutions and and medical, um, medical um, uh, or government agencies, things like that. Um, So showing them those and saying, Hey, look, look at Look at this person did. And that's just one person I know, but he did exactly what he was told not to do um, by the medical um, uh, profession and look what happened to him. He's doing awesome. Um, and so, and when people see that kind of stuff and they see it enough, cause, cause if I say it one time, they may say, ah, oh, that's just one person or they may not believe me at all, Yeah, but I was the first time they heard it. So I'm happy to be that first time because maybe they hear it again from somebody else. And then maybe they hear it again down the line from somebody else. And the third time they're like, huh, maybe there's something to this. So I always, I never, I never say, oh, I'm not going to tell them because they're just, they're brainwashed and they're never going to agree with me. It's like, they're probably not going to agree with me. But if I tell them that's the first time they heard it, and I'm happy to be the first time because the second, third, fourth time, maybe I'm getting closer to that, that second, third, fourth time.
1: Yeah. I think it's a huge element of self-responsibility that comes with making that type of change, being so reliant on external sources, whether that's your doctor for medical advice and medications or from like government recommended daily allowances, what to eat, what not to eat when we rely on these external things, it's not real. It's like we can blame those other things for our lack of success rather than, you know, okay, if you you taking the opportunity to sit down with a health professional like yourself and really assessing is what I'm doing right now, really working, being self-reflective and then putting the, um, putting the uh, focus on yourself in regards to what you can and can't do. Um, and putting the, not blame, not, really, not a great word to use, but like when you can start putting the, the conscious thought and conscious effort of what you're doing and the results that you're not getting, I think that again, yeah, can start sparking different thoughts and different ideas and people. And then ultimately that could, um, start people on a different journey of behavioral change perhaps. But yeah, I think, you're, yeah. I think you're spot on with that. And then using examples because there are so many of them out there that, um, yeah, it's just like how 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 do people how do people learn and how do people um really get into a position of changing their minds because that's going to kind of look different for everybody.
0: Yeah, and, and you know lots of times I share these anecdotes with either from like my my past clients or just you know there's databases online of just people who who eat more meat and and um and and you know get rid of the processed foods and how it has transformed their life. Um, and so there's lots of anecdotal stories about that. And people like to say, well, that's just anecdotal. There's no study there that proves that. And I'm just like, well, if there's lots of anecdotes, uh, that's called data, you know? Um, and so, um, so there's that. And then, you know, it's just that we can't ignore those things. Even if it was just one person that changed their diet completely, and then also changed their health completely because of that, like we can't say, oh, well, that was a fluke because, because it's only one person, we need to say that's fascinating. Let's find out why. You know that's what yeah. we should be saying. You know, and we can't ignore that result um, just because it's only one person. No, absolutely. now you're spot on with that. Um,
1: I always find um, our biological and cultural developments very interesting, and you know we see incredible rapid advances in our cultural development to the point where our body just. Our biology just cannot keep up. I always use the example of, you know, there's probably 50 restaurants in the space of five minutes from where I am. There are supermarkets. I can just get food any time of the day. I can just always be eating. You know, that is a significant cultural development that no way is my biology um, advanced enough to deal with that type of consistent consumption. So what sort of disconnect do we have from our evolutionary biology that really contributes to, to heart disease?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely one of them is, is the constant supply of calories, right? You know, we, we've even, there's even, um, you know, an interesting history um, of breakfast and how it wasn't really part of, you know, uh, everyday life. Um, and uh, when, when cereal companies started coming out and they wanted to promote their cereals, um, they kind of invented this breakfast food. Um, and so they invented the meal of breakfast, right? So, uh, now we're, now we're told that three meals a day is really important. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and it should be your cornflakes and whatever else, you know, and your orange juice and your, um, toast and jam and things like that. Like, it's just all processed (laughs) carbohydrate foods, you know, and it's, uh, it's really, really. Uh, bad for you um, not only to eat those foods in general but to eat them first thing in the morning you're just you're just setting yourself up for spikes in blood sugars and ups and downs all day long which is why you crash mid-morning and then you're starving um, at lunch and you eat more processed carbohydrates and it's just it's it's all a result of marketing you know from these companies um, just trying to promote their product and they thought their product was good Um, but it turned out it's not been good for us Um, and so yeah just this idea of, of having three meals a day but um, also things like, uh, uh, just vegetable oils being, you know, lowering cholesterol and how that's good for you. But what if cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease and, um, just, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. It, it, the, the conventional wisdoms that we have are more a result of marketing rather than actual data or evidence, um, cause it doesn't have to be published data. It could just be evidence. Um, and so we have to watch out for those things because we do live in a capitalist society, which I think is a, a great thing. Um but uh, it, it can get in the way of uh, the truth sometimes. Absolutely.
1: So are there any key points that we can look back through our human evolution right that, that we can like, that we can apply today because we've lost so many of the the foods and the habits and right. all these things that our biology is still very much programmed to deal with. Yeah, so
0: you know, it's it's interesting that that humans have been eating humans and pre-human ancestors have been eating meat for millions of years, um, eating red meat and saturated fat. And, and there's even evidence that we were the highest level carnivores out there at some points, you know, like with the very early modern humans and the Neanderthals, they were, they were eating meat at levels, um, higher than known carnivores of the time. Um, we were the, we were the apex predator. And so it doesn't make sense that a food that helped form us evolutionarily would now be causing disease. Um, it makes way more sense that foods that are newer, like vegetable oils and processed sugars and processed grains are the cause of that. Um, but also you have to think about how in a very evolutionarily short amount of time we went from, you know, being these, these hunter gatherer, um, hunter gatherer type species living in nature, you know, exposed to dirt and bacteria and eating lots of animal foods and whole foods in general, not just all animal foods, but just you know, whole real foods and not processed foods. Um, and how we were, we were in these, you know, small nomadic groups. We weren't bombarded by all these craziness of society and all the people and things around us that we see. Um, you know, we probably, um, you know, we never would have saw what was happening halfway around the world. We would have just seen what was happening in our local environment. And, And so our, our environment has drastically changed in evolutionarily a very short amount of time. And that change started to happen with the the advent of agriculture, when humans started staying in one place and, um, and farming, uh, farming certain foods. And there's debate about why that started or, or how it started, um, but it did start. And that, that birthed civilization. So then people started, you know, living in close quarters and cities. Um, and then we, you know, fast forward to where we are today, but that's a very evolutionarily short amount of time. We really about, is. Yeah. When we look at, um, I'm gonna try if I mean, see if I can get this right. But um, if you look at the, uh, the face of a clock. Um, and you, the clock is a, is the history of, of, uh, humanity, uh, of humans, of, when modern humans, the first modern humans evolved. Um, you know, we were hunter gatherers, uh, throughout almost the entirety of that 24 hour cycle, um, on the clock. And it was only at, like eleven fifty four PM when we started farming. Um, so if that tells you anything about, you know, how, how long we were doing something else. And then all of a sudden within 10,000 years, which sounds like a long time, but evolutionarily speaking, it's a very, very short amount of time. um, We started living in cities, farming, um, that kind of stuff. And our physiology is not built for that. There's not been enough time for us to adapt to that type of way of life um, so that it's healthy for us. So really we need to put ourselves in an environment within the context of our modern world that's more like that hunter-gatherer or that natural lifestyle. And I'm not saying that, like I'm not romanticizing the hunt together lifestyle. It was, it was probably pretty difficult, you know, and yeah. it was um, you know, it was life or death a lot of times. Um, and, uh, and I'm not completely demonizing uh, civilization either um, because there's, you know, we've had huge advancement advancements as humans um, because of civilization and because of agriculture. So um, but health wise, it wasn't very good for us. And so that's why I say within the confines of our modern society, we need to figure out how we get back to, um, living a lifestyle that's more in line with what our physiology evolved to. Um, because if we that's the only path to health, you know, and, and it's not going to be taking these drugs or whatever. If the only path is to change your environment, your body responds to its environment. Um, and if we're giving it the wrong signals, it's going to give us the wrong health.
1: Yeah. Beautifully said, I love the clock human history analogy as well. That's great. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that one if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, i actually stole it so okay great then it, <laughs> then it moves on that's great yeah <laughs> um yeah we've we've spoken about cardiovascular disease and being the leading cause of death worldwide and it's by a significant margin as well it's second and third place um what can what can we start doing what can i do tomorrow morning to just make like to start doing something good for my heart health you know is it adding something is it taking something away what, what would what would you suggest to like the average person that just doesn't eat good
0: Yeah. So, well, and my big, my big point in the book is that, that, um, heart disease is about way more than diet. Um, I, I think that it's actually being driven by an imbalance in our stress response. Um, so like if, if I'm talking to someone, I give them like the elevator speech, what, what should they do tomorrow morning? It should be focused on three things. One is make sure you're eating a diet that makes you metabolically flexible, um, makes you uh, not be insulin resistant. And so that's fairly simple. It means eat whole foods. Don't eat foods like processed grains, processed sugars, um, or vegetable oils, um, by vegetable oils, I mean like corn oil, canola oil, soy oil, safflower oil, those types of things. Um, and be careful with olive oil and and avocado oil, because lots of times it's heavily contaminated with vegetable oils. You got to get a a good brand that's that's pure olive oil or, or avocado oil. So, um, so yeah, that's eat a diet that's metabolically flexible and it's simple enough. Eat a whole food diet. Um, don't eat a processed food. Um, diet. And so that's one number two is decrease the amount of um, oxidative stress and inflammation that your body has. And so there's three main things there. One is the diet part of it. If you're eating a whole food diet, you're going to do, be doing uh, a good thing for reducing inflammation and oxidative stress, but also we want to avoid toxin exposure, like man-made toxins. Um, And the big areas I tell people to look at for, um, for those toxins in their life is their diet, their water, their air, um, their cosmetics and their cleaning products. Like if you focus on those and make sure you're getting, um, you know, the cleanest versions of things you can get. Um, and, or, I mean, really just to clean things, you need like vinegar and water, you know, and, uh, maybe some essential oils if you want to smell good, but, you know, just looking into your life and making sure you're avoiding toxins like heavy metals and plastics and things as much as you can. Um, because those things build up and they, they cause inflammation and oxidative stress. But then the third cause of oxidative stress is, is psychological stress, which leads us into the third proponent of heart disease, which is an imbalance in our stress response. Um, so our stress response is just our, our autonomic nervous system. is just the system of our body. That's perceiving our environment and interpreting if for a safer, threatening environment. Um, and based on which one we're in the body reacts accordingly. Um, however, in modern day society, there are lots of things that can kind of drive us into this constant state of a stress response. So we get this imbalanced stress response. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the evidence and the research on this is just absolutely fascinating. Um, as far as how the nervous system develops and how it can get into this imbalanced state, because it's not really like it's imbalanced. It's just that one of, one of them is kind of shut down. One aspect of it is kind of shut down and the other one kind of takes over. Right. Um, and so, so, you know, achieving balance and making sure you're doing things that, um, help, you, um, help you maintain that balance and your stress response is really, really important. So just kind of a, a tidbit here is that, um, you know, the, the stresses in our life that seem to have the most negative impact on health are stresses that make us feel like we're out of control um, or that we're in an unpredictable situation, um, which, you know, sheds some light onto why, you know, this past two years almost uh, has been so hard for people um, because that's exactly what's happened. People have been in, in uncontrollable, unpredictable situations for too long now. Um, you never know what's going to come next. And so, um, but yeah, they did studies on people within a company, within a, a big company, and they looked for the people in the company who had um, uh, the most stress and also the highest um, or the, the the poorest health, right? And the people who had Um, But it, but it wasn't the most stress. It was the type of stress that mattered. So like people who, people who, you know, were maybe at lower end jobs in the company and maybe their, their job wasn't guaranteed or their salary wasn't guaranteed um, or they didn't make a predictable income or they felt like they didn't have control over what they did in their job. They were just told what to do. Um, Those types of people who reported a lot of stress had the worst health outcomes. Whereas people in the company who maybe higher up in the company, or maybe just had a more secure job, um, um, that kind of stuff, or, um, or they were just you know they had a very high stress, high demand job, but they were in control of it, you know, and then they had they didn't have any impact um, on their health because of that stress. Like they reported lots of stress, but no, but they didn't have negative health outcomes from it. So it's really the type. So when you when you look in your life and say, okay, I got to get rid of these stresses, get rid of the ones that make you feel like you're in unpredictable situations um, if you can, and ones that make you feel like you're out of control.
1: That's really good advice. That's really good. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate sharing that. Um, just to kind of finish up, you've written two books. Congratulations on that, by the way, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, can you see the ones, the, is, is this the first one, the health evolution, why understanding um, evolution is the key to vibrant health. Yeah. That's first the first one. book. Right. And then the yeah. second book is the heart, our most medically misunderstood organ. So the, the second one is
0: actually um, that, that that one you just said is a short ebook I wrote. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Which I've taken down now. So the second one is uh, understanding the heart. Um, and it, uh, it was originally self-published um, earlier this year, but then it got picked up by a publisher. So it's not available right now. It will be available in April um, when we, republish it through the publisher. So, um, so people can look for that. It should hopefully be available for
1: pre-order pretty soon amazing yeah. wonderful and if people want to pre-order
0: or if they want to get in contact with you what's the best place for them to do that so i will I i'll definitely be updating uh, my website uh, on that information about the book um, but also through my website is how people can contact me uh, so that's resourceyourhealth.com, and then also i will be posting on instagram and facebook and twitter um about you know the upcoming uh, the stuff of the book and people can also contact me on those on those platforms as well um, so if they want to just keep track of of uh, when this book's coming out and and me in general they can do social media
1: beautiful well that's awesome i really appreciate your time today thank you so much for joining us
0: no problem happy to be here
1: Wonderful. Well, um, I'll make sure all that information in regards to getting in contact with Dr. Hussey and getting hold of his books will be available in the show notes so you can check that out. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Thank you so much for listening to True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. We'll see you next week.